Thank you, Darren. At least, uh, am I on? Okay. At least I think I should thank you for those uh, warm, encouraging, introductory words. Good morning, Truth Community. Uh, great to be with you all this morning, and we trust indeed that our time together might be profitable, but above all, might bring glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. When Darren contacted me just a while ago, uh, asking uh, if I was available to preach for these uh, couple of Sundays, he suggested that... Um, maybe we could do a little two-part mini-series in Hebrews. So uh, we're going to attempt that this morning. This morning we come to uh, chapter 6 in Hebrews, which is very interesting, also a very difficult chapter to fully understand. And so we need to move slowly through this chapter and hence are dealing with only the opening three verses this morning. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look a little further. But before we go any further, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do indeed give you thanks and praise because you're an awesome God. We thank you, Father, for all of your provisions in and through the Lord Jesus Christ as we've just been singing about, the all-sufficient one. And we thank you for him who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, we thank you that as we look around the room, we differ in looks, so also we differ in needs. But we praise you for your grace and the sufficiency of that grace, sufficient for whatever our needs might be. And so I would pray specifically this morning, Father, as we look into your word, recognizing our inabilities, without you we can do absolutely nothing. And so I pray for the guiding and directing of your Holy Spirit. Lead us into all truth. Teach us, challenge and motivate us, encourage our hearts in the things of the Lord. But Father, above all, may everything be to your honor and to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of introduction to our study this morning, Dr. R. W. Dale, an English congregational minister and leader in the 19th century, said this, I know how this passage has made the heart of many a good man tremble. It rises up in the New Testament with a gloomy grandeur, stern, portentous, awful, sublime as Mount Sinai when the Lord descended upon it in fire and threatening storm clouds were around him and thundering and lightning and earthly voices told that he was there. Wow, pretty scary, isn't it? Dr. J. Vernon McGee said this, every reverent person has come to this section 
with awe and wonder. And every sincere expositor has come to this passage with a sense of inadequacy. And certainly, he said, that is the way I approach it. I uh, love his honesty. For those of you who are familiar with the book, chapter 6 and chapter 10 in Hebrews have been the cause of many controversies um, besides headaches for many over the years. Indeed, some have suggested that these sections are a strong support to and in defense of the Arminian doctrine of saved and lost. This teaching, as probably you know, it uh, suggests that it is possible for a born-again believer to end up eternally lost or to lose their salvation. I do not believe this to be so. By that I mean, firstly, I do not believe that these chapters are teaching any such doctrine. Secondly, I do not believe that the saved and lost Arminian doctrine is a biblical sound teaching. If it were, then the Bible would contradict itself, and it most certainly does not. Now, not only so, but uh, this type of thinking is totally out of line with the theme of the book of Hebrews. You who have been with us uh, over the past, I don't know how long now, but uh, we have been working our way through Hebrews. And you will remember that the theme of the book, it presents the superiority, the supremacy, and the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we approach this chapter, we need to remember where we are at in our study. We need to remember where we're going in this study. Remember that in chapter 5, those of you who were with us back then, chapter 5 we commenced a comparison study a comparison study of the high priesthood of Aaron and the high priesthood of Christ. And then the last week we were together, we came to the interlude or the parenthesis, which starts in verse 11 of chapter 5 and continues through to the end of chapter 6. Then in chapter 7, the writer continues with his study of the high priesthood of Christ as he examines the order of Melchizedek. Now you will notice, whatever translation you're reading from this morning, the first word in chapter 6 is, therefore, therefore. And I believe that it looks back to what has already been established in our study. Or as someone said, every time we see the word therefore, we have to look back to see what it's there for. Now, in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is better than the prophets, remember, 
God, who at sundry times in a divers manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by or in or through his Son. So in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is better than the prophets, better than angels, better than Moses, better than Joshua, and in light of the fact that in Christ Jesus we have a great high priest, and then even more recent in light of the fact that his readers were dull of hearing, described as babes, and deficient in the word. The writer, in light of all this, or in spite of all this, maybe, the writer encourages them on to spiritual maturity. Alistair Begg, the senior pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio, has a great little outline for this part of Hebrews. And... Uh, we could borrow it this morning. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. Listen to what he says. He says that the writer has gone into a moment or two of parenthesis, addressing three issues of pastoral concern. One of these at the end of chapter 5, which we referred to as the problem of spiritual infancy. Then another in the opening of chapter 6, whereby he encourages his readers to walk what Alistair said, uh, we said was the pathway of spiritual maturity. Then beginning at the fourth verse, he calls us to consideration of the peril of spiritual apostasy. So let me borrow from Alistair this morning his three points in this uh, particular portion of Hebrews. The problem of spiritual infancy. We saw that in our last study uh, when we were together. Dull of hearing, described as babies, and deficient in the word. The pathway to spiritual maturity. This is what we'll look at this morning, Lord willing. And then the peril of spiritual apostasy. We'll leave that one for next week, Lord willing. Something I believe will help us in our study here is an actual word-for-word -word translation from the original language of this opening verse, at least the opening words of the verse. It goes something like this. Wherefore? having left the word of the beginnings of the Christ discourse. Interesting. I believe that the writer is referring to what has taken place in some of these Hebrews' lives. They had left Judaism. That involved the temple worship, the animal sacrifices, and seemingly they had placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice also that the word used here is Christ or Messiah. Remember, he's speaking to Jews. Now, as I've already said, it's important that we catch hold 
of what is happening here, for it will help us tremendously in our understanding of these difficult verses. So these Hebrews, they had come out of Judaism, they had turned to Christ, and some were beginning to slide back into the old economy. They were going back to the temple worship, the animal sacrifices. The description that the writer gives here of the elementary principles of doctrines, or sorry, the elementary principles or doctrines of Christ, or the beginnings of Christ's discourse, or as the NIV states, some of you have that, the elementary teachings about Christ. This describes what I believe is the teachings of Judaism. Now, let me explain. Let me explain at least by giving you a couple of examples. Notice verse 2. The doctrine of baptisms. The word that is translated baptisms here is the word baptismos. Baptismos. That exact same word is translated washings in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 10, where we read, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings. There's the word, various washings, baptismas, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. This is a different word to the New Testament word for baptisms or baptizing, as found, for example, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The word that is translated baptizing here is the word baptizo, baptizo, which you know already means to immerse or place into. So, the doctrine of baptisms referred to here is that of the ceremonial washings that we see in the old economy in the Old Testament teachings. Another example in that same verse, verse 2, notice he talks about of resurrection of the dead. Now, if you turn over to the Acts of the Apostles, and don't worry, I'm not jumping in on Pastor Steve. He's doing a great job in going through the Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> Acts chapter 24 and verse 14 and 15, we have the Apostle Paul here. He's before the Roman governor Felix when he was being accused of sedition by the Jews. And Paul is speaking. Verse 14 and 15, he says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept. Listen to this. That there will be 
a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. You see, that was the Jewish hope. Resurrection of the dead. Now, you'll remember the conversation that uh, Martha had with Jesus following the uh, death of Lazarus. We get this over in John chapter 11 and verse 23 to 26. Let me read those for you. John 11, 23 to 26. Jesus said to her, that is Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, listen to this, this is very important. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Wow. Now, turn over with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. And in Luke chapter 9, we have the, um, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, the Lord brought the uh, inner circle up with him, and uh, he was transfigured before them on the top of the mountain. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. Mark 9, 9 and 10. Now, as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen, listen to this, till the Son of Man had risen from the dead. <laughs> so they kept this word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. Wow. You see, the resurrection of the dead is one of the teachings of Judaism and the old economy. But the teaching of the new economy in Christ is that of resurrection from the dead. Wow! Never to die again. Wow! So, when we see all this about these elementary teachings about Christ, we need also to understand that all of the old economy, I'm not suggesting that we throw the Old Testament out by no means. <laughs> all of these um, teachings, these, this old economy, the, the sacrificial system, the temple worship, etc., they were all shadows and types that point us to Christ. Remember on the road to Emmaus, where the Lord met those disciples that were going along so sad. And he come and he joined with them and asked, why are you so sad? Have you not heard? <laughs> and then it says this. He said to them, that beginning with Moses and the prophets, you know where he is, don't you? Genesis, Exodus, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, himself. You see, this book is all about him. 
No matter where we look, he's there. He's there. So, realizing and recognizing that all of the shadows and types point to Christ, so the writer to the Hebrews encourages his readers, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection. Here is the pathway to spiritual maturity. Now, if you jump over in Hebrews to chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read for you two sections of Hebrews 10. The first four verses and then drop down to verse 11 to 14. Look at the first four verses. Hebrews 10. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with the same sacrifices, sorry, can never, I've lost my, with these same sacrifices, there we are, which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purged, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, here's the, the purpose of the sacrifices. In those sacrifices, there's a reminder or a remembrance of sins every year. When they went in, year after year after year, as the high priest took the blood sacrifice and he opened that veil and he entered into the presence of God and there he sprinkled the, the blood sacrifice both upon and before the mercy seat. Year after year after year this happened, and it was all for a remembrance of sin. It was, never, it was never meant to be any kind of an effort in dealing with sin. It was a remembrance of sin. Then drop down to verse 11 to 14. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, we sang about that this morning, hey, the all-sufficient sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of God. Now, in sitting down, those of you who are familiar with the, the scriptures, you will know that throughout the tabernacle and later the temple, there was absolutely no provision for anyone to sit down because their work was never finished. You ladies know all about that, eh? Woman's work is never done. <laughs> Nowhere to sit. But once Jesus Christ offered... Am I coming apart? I'm all right? Good. <laughs> I'm getting too excited here. That's what it is. Okay. Once Jesus Christ offered the once for all sacrifice, notice, for sins forever, he sat down. Because his work was finished. His work was finished. He sat down. He says, 
Uh, where am I? Four by one? Oh, yes. He sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies were made his footstool, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, those who are being made holy, those who are being set apart. So the writer here in Hebrews, he encourages his readers to leave the old economy and go on to perfection. Go on to perfection. To forget about the temple sacrifices and trust the once for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who through his complete work, his finished work, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, we're covering so much ground here. I know we're only covering three verses in Hebrews, but there's so much involved here, and we're kind of uh, laying a, a groundwork for next week <laughs> as well. But now, with all that in mind, I find it very interesting when I turn over to Matthew chapter 27. Now, there are other passages, parallel passages, but Matthew 27, where we deal with the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 50 and 51, we read this. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now watch this. Then behold, the veil in the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Remember the veil? Remember the veil separated the holy from the holy of holies? <laughs> Remember the holy of holies was where the Shekinah glory, the presence of God, shone down on the mercy seat? The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. The tearing of the veil, I believe, signifies very clearly that the way is open. <laughs> into the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And Jesus Christ, he's the only one that ever did this. When we take all the gospel accounts together, we find that before the Lord Jesus yielded up his spirit, as Matthew tells us, oh, he had the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross. If you ever get a, a chance to grab uh, Arthur Pink's book on the seven last sayings of Christ on the cross, Oh, it's well worth, it's well worth the read. But in John chapter 19 and verse 30, Jesus cried out, Tetelestai, it is finished, it is finished. And so the writer encourages his readers here in Hebrews to come out of the shadows and types, come out into the anti-type and the reality, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Again, back in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read from verse 19 to 23. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, 
which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast without wavering the profession or the confession of our hope or our faith, for he who promised is faithful. This is the pathway to spiritual maturity. Let us go on, says the writer, to completeness in Christ. Now, in bringing all this to a close, let me quote one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This, my dear people, I believe is the pathway to spiritual maturity. Paul says, let us keep on keeping on. <laughs> Next week, Lord willing, we'll take up where we left off and we'll look at the peril, the peril of spiritual apostasy. Be much in prayer over that. That's quite a study, quite a study. So we'll look forward to that, Lord willing, next week. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pause momentarily in your presence and we thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. Father, we thank you for the truth the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you, Father, that there's only one way into your presence, and that is through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who offered the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. And through that once-for-all sacrifice, he has perfected forever those that are being set apart, sanctified, made holy. Oh, Father, this just boggles our minds to think that sinners by nature, sinners by birth, can through the Lord Jesus Christ be made perfect. Father, we thank you for all that we have in Christ. Help Enable each and every one of us to focus continually on all that we have in Christ. We live in a day, Father, that is packed full of discouragements. We live in a broken, sinful world. 
Father, we need to be reminded over and over again that we are perfected forever in Christ. Father, enable us on this pathway to spiritual maturity. Bless, encourage, motivate, excite, minister to every heart. We'll give you all praise and all glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.